Thanks, Tyler, and um, thank you, guys. Morning, everyone. So if I've met you before, my name is Tyson. I'm part of the leadership here, um, and it's just a really uh, real blessing and privilege to be able to bring us the word today. Uh, as Tyler already kind of uh, said, we are going to be continuing our, continuing our journey into the Gospel of John. Um, so if you are new or visiting with us, um, then firstly, welcome. Um, something we do value here at Cedar Light South is uh, not just picking and choosing bits of the Bible that are easy or convenient or kind of just serve our purposes. Uh, but as a church and as a community, we want to work through essentially all of Scripture so we might, as best as we can, know the story, uh, let it speak to us and have the right picture of whom it's really about. Uh, so you've come at a really good time uh, because we're very early into our series. So this is week five, I think, uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, which is uh, if you don't know, it's one of, the gospel, one of the four gospel recounts of the life of Jesus to come in this book. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, spending many months uh, working through it and sitting in this story together and seeing what God does in and through us as we unpack uh, and grow together through, through it. So to that end, uh, we are going to be in John chapter 1, verses 35 through to the end this morning, so 35 to 51. Uh, you can turn there in your Bible or your device if you like, although it hopefully will be on the screen as well. So I'll read it for us, uh, then we'll pray together and then we'll unpack it a little bit this morning. So let's read. Verse 35 says, The next day John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, I just um, thank you for this opportunity we have to come and to 
hear your word, um, to hear um, uh, what you have to say to us today. Lord, would you speak through me? Would you let these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord? Uh, would you help us have ears to hear and uh, hearts to receive what you have for us? Father, would you do by your spirit what, by what only you can do? Would you move in us? Would you turn our hearts and our eyes toward you? Lord, would you um, speak to us? Would you change us? Would you remind us of your goodness and grace? Lord, we thank you for your amazing love for us. We thank you for the words that we can sing about, Lord. And we just pray that you would um, be blessed, Lord, that you would be honoured this morning um, and that you would move amongst us and help us to um, just worship you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of my favourite movies growing up, um, and I still consider it a timeless classic, is the 1999 sci-fi film uh, The Matrix. Uh, I'm sure a lot of us remember the movie. Uh, it's getting quite old now, which is a strange thought to me. Um, but in case you don't know it or you haven't seen it in a long time, it's about this character, Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, who's this kind of mid-level computer programmer who for a long time has this sense that there's just something not right about himself and the world around him. Uh, his suspicions become more legitimate when he suddenly starts getting these weird phone calls from mysterious characters uh, who know a lot. Like there's this one guy, Morpheus, um, who he ha Neo had heard about online. Uh, and he has this conversation with him and he starts getting chased by these strange men in suits that have weird powers. It's all very odd. Uh, eventually this guy, Morpheus, and his crew catch up with Neo. And there's that iconic scene where Morpheus kind of explains to Neo why all this is happening. You know, why he for so long felt that something is not quite right about the world. Uh, Morpheus famously offers Neo that red pill or that blue pill, which will start him on the path to know the terrifying and the mind-blowing truth about reality and the world, uh, while the blue pill would just basically anaesthetize him back to his previous existence. So Neo takes a red pill, obviously, and the story unfolds. He wakes up from this kind of virtual reality that humankind has been plugged into by robots who essentially are like farming humans for energy. You know, I could talk about this movie for a lot longer, but, but what does it have to do with today's passage? It's a good question. Well, see, there's so much in this little narrative as Jesus begins his ministry, and we're going to unpack it a bit this morning, but something that we see repeated several times is this idea of coming and seeing. You know, come and see with your own eyes. Jesus says it to John's disciples who start following him. And Philip says it to Nathaniel as well. And I think it's an important kind of mindset or it's an important approach for us to have, especially as we work through this, uh, this gospel story for the first or the fifth or maybe the 50th time. You know, for Neo in The Matrix to really know and believe the truth about his reality and these claims that Morpheus is making, he needs to take that red pill. He needs to come and see and not just take a stranger's word for it. And in a sense, that, that is the same for us. That's true for us as well. That whether you've grown up around Christianity and going to church or, or maybe not, you know, it's necessary that you move beyond that kind of just rote acceptance of what you've always been told and you come and see for yourself. You know, we all come from quite different backgrounds. Some of us have grown up around very rigid 
dogmatic religion where you just believe, right? Just have faith and don't question because doubts, questions, they're discouraged. You know, they're a sign of weak faith, maybe even apostasy. But see, Jesus isn't saying here to just blindly believe and suppress your wonder and suppress your questions. He's inviting them. He's inviting us as well to come and see, to think, to wonder. And conversely, some of us maybe have grown up around, you know, agnosticism or, you know, vague spirituality, nominal Christianity, you know, the Christmas and Easter kind of Christianity. And really that whole God thing was really just a small component um, in your life and maybe in your upbringing. You know, these days, spiritual but not religious is that kind of popular position of our time, right? Where you can pick and choose what, what bits you like and what feels good and leave out the bad bits, leave out the hard bits. You know, curate your own spirituality that suits your lifestyle, suits your perspective. Where ultimately you're the authority on truth. And maybe if this is your experience, if this describes you a little bit, then to come and see is to actually come and critically think you know, to examine the life and the ministry of this, you know, this God-man who revolutionized the world and ask, what is actually true? Am I the author of truth or is, is he? But to come and see is a little bit like Neo being offered that red or that blue pill. To come and see is to be faced with reality, the reality of who Jesus really is or at least claim to be and what that means for your whole perception of yourself, you know, your life, your purpose, this thing that we call church, the world around us and eternity. And as Tim Keller points out, the only thing it doesn't mean is indifference. Because to be indifferent is to be intellectually lazy and, and, and potentially ignorant to the most important story ever told. So whether you've been a Christian walking with the Lord for many years or maybe you're quite new to it all or maybe you're not even a follower, that's like helpful to consider as we come and see Jesus today. So number one, we, we are to come and see Jesus together. We come and see Jesus together. So in this passage, John the Baptist, he points his disciples to Jesus. Andrew brought Simon Peter to Jesus. Philip brought Nathanael to Jesus. One of the things that's quite obvious in this story is, that to, is to come to Jesus is to do it together with friends, like in community. All the blokes in this story were just going about their business when a mate came along and said, hey, check this guy out. Come and see with me. You know, these days, if you want to find out about someone, within like 30 seconds, on your phone, you can be reading their backstory, you can be looking at the photos of their family, you can be reading about their political activism and their positions on controversial matters, and you can always jump to that gossip tab that Wikipedia calls personal life, right, and read all the juicy drama. And within five or ten minutes, you can know a bunch of facts about anyone who's anyone. But see, what we see here is actually far more than that kind of thing. It's actually an offer to do life, to journey with, to come and see together. In our culture, faith and religion is often talked about or kind of touted as this private, personal thing. But so much of what we see in Scripture leads us in a very different direction to that. 
Like even if you just consider your own story for a second, you know, think about how you came to be here today. I'm sure that most, if not all of us, would say that there was at least one, maybe two or more people in your life that had a big influence in pointing you to Jesus. It might not be that they knew all the answers. It might not even be that they spent hours, you know, or weeks or years kind of preaching to you or always sharing the gospel with you. But it might be just in some fairly small way, at the right time, God worked through them to point you to Him. I mean, I think of my own story in coming to faith and those little acts that made a big difference in my life, including uh, when I was 16, my dad gave me an excerpt from Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. And that small act and that little book had a very big impact on me. And it, when I was in year 11 and 12, um, a while ago now, uh, I, was, I was slowly kind of wanting to pull back from the church that we were um, connected with. But I remember the youth pastor, some of you might know, Jason Howitt, um, he made the effort just to come and to hang out with me a few times. And, when, you know, we would just talk about life and games and school and then usually he'd pray for me at the end, which I found a bit odd at first. Um, but, but it was then I actually first got the, I got the first taste of being okay talking about struggles. None of these were big, extravagant moments. Um, they weren't mind-blowing acts of faith that one day movies will be made about, right? But everyday moments following Jesus, spending time together, and then in some way being pointed to him. You see, we, we actually need each other. That's how God's designed it. And I think this passage shows us, one thing it does show us as well, is this the most effective method of evangelism, which is just that life-to-life, shoulder-to-shoulder, that relational connectedness. And it's not about knowing all the answers. It's not about having the most elegant arguments or the biggest platform. But it's about being able to say, man, come and see with me. You know, even today, or maybe even especially today, there is a lot of strange ideas and I'd say misunderstandings about who Jesus was and and what he was about. And and many people, including quite a few in this room, I think, have been hurt over the years and even even abused by so-called Christian leaders or church communities with, I guess, misplaced zeal or, or, or a very skewed perspective of Jesus and what he calls us to. But as Jesus followers, uh, and especially as leaders, our message should always be, don't just take my word for it. Come and see with me. Come and see with Tyler. Come and see with each other. And this is true for so much more than just evangelism. See, we are part of the body of Christ, like 1 Corinthians 12 talks about. And to be disconnected from that body, like in some ways it's, it's as sad or it's, it's as painful as like a maimed or an amputated limb from your own. See, Christianity isn't primarily, it's not primarily a set of rules or guidelines to believe. It's actually an encounter with a person. And the way we get to know him personally is almost always with the help of each other, with the help of friends. I mean, this is part of why we do bang on a lot about DGs, discipleship groups. It's not so the leadership can feel good adding another task to your week's. It's, it's so clear in Scripture that one of the ways we get to know and love and follow Jesus better and what matters to Him is by doing it together. And if we aren't pursuing this in any sense, then I think we're really missing out. 
So what would it look like for you and your family to get to know him more with others, in community, with friends? You know, weekly discipleship groups are a good way to do this, but they're not the only way. How can we help support each other in this? It's an important question. Hebrews 10, 24, such a perfect verse to consider here. It says, Let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. To come and see Jesus is to come and see him together with friends in community. Secondly, we come and see Jesus imperfectly as flawed people, right? We come and see Jesus imperfectly as flawed people. One of the things that, um, one of the other things we see in this passage is that the disciples we learn about here and all through scripture were often pretty average folk. They often didn't know a lot. They got it wrong. They stuffed up. They missed the point, but they kept following anyway. You know, if Jesus wanted to, he absolutely could have spent more of his time and energy. Let's just floor you a little bit that Jesus essentially spends most of his time with bogans and thieves. And I think Philip is such a great character in the Gospels who I find kind of relatable. And maybe you do as well. You know, there's all these examples in the Gospel of John, which we'll get to as we journey through it, where Philip just seems out of his element. Like, I don't know, have you ever sat in a room with people talking about things that you know you don't really understand what's going on. You're not heaps sure what what they're talking about and you kind of just smile and nod, right? Philip seems like this fairly often. often. I've got lots of examples of this in my life. When I was 18, I lived in Germany for six months and I didn't speak any German, so that was me every day over there. When I was a first-year uni student, I remember sitting in on a a paramedic clinical audit uh, where they were talking about the Renin-Angiotensin system. Um, That's one to look up later. Um, and I was, I was out of my depth. I was in the wrong place in that, um, in that group. Uh, and even more recently, just a few years back, I was doing kind of some eldership training with um, Don, Jake, Tyler, and um, some of the others, and they discussed and d- debated, I guess, some pretty high-level theology, and I was like, whoa, I'm in the wrong place. I did not know what was going on there. But either way, I think Philip is often a bit like this. You know, Jesus calls him to follow, which is incredible, And then in his excitement, he goes and tells Nathaniel, who asks this really good question. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And presumably, he doesn't really know how to answer it. So he just says, come and and see. Let's find out, which is actually a pretty good response, I think. But there's a bunch more moments like this in the Gospel of John, where Philip just hasn't quite caught up yet. And he fairly often seems to be missing the point. You know, in chapter 6, there's that story when Jesus is about to feed the 5,000. And Philip's contribution to that situation is to basically add doubt to the situation. He says, oh, even 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough. Oh, thanks, Philip. Thanks for that. And then a bit later on in chapter 12, there's these uh, these Greeks are trying to find um, Jesus. And it reads as if Philip, he doesn't know what to do. He kind of maybe panics a little bit. And so he just runs and he asks Andrew, what, you know, what do we do? And then even right at the end, just before Jesus is crucified, after all that time they've spent together, 
all the signs and the wonders that um, Jesus has performed, all the teaching and the ministry that Philip has been part of, he still doesn't really get it. And he says this, he says, oh, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus kind of responds with like this theological face palm and like in love, of course. But, you know, and that, friends, that concludes the, the very brief highlights reel of Philip as recorded by John. But I love what biblical scholar Leon Morris, he says about Philip here. He says this, and I quote, It is encouraging to reflect that Jesus went out of his way to find this rather limited man and to, en- to enlist him in the apostolic band. Some of the apostles were undoubtedly men of great ability, but Philip compels us to realize that others were perfectly ordinary people. Jesus had and has use for such followers. So if you feel weak, if you feel like you don't know enough, if you doubt or have unanswered questions or if you feel inadequate or feel it's all a bit too hard and maybe your life's a bit of a mess, then welcome, you're in good company. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says this, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised even in the world to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, to come and see Jesus is to do it imperfectly as flawed people. Thirdly, we come and see the one who knows us completely and empowers change in us. We come and see the one who knows us completely and empowers change in us. In verse 42, Andrew brings his brother Simon Peter to Jesus, who does what appears a bit strange at first. If you remember reading it before, he renames him Cephas, doesn't he? which means rock. You know, the renaming of people is actually something God does um, all through the Bible to kind of indicate their special calling. Like Abram became Abraham, uh, Jacob became Israel, and now here Simon Peter is being renamed Cephas by Jesus to either point towards his changing character or possibly his foundational role in the establishment of the church. But either way, What is most important for us to see here is the the way Jesus renaming Simon Peter at the beginning of their relationship. You know, he not only gives him a new identity, but he empowers him to grow and to walk in that identity. Like if you read the New Testament uh, and the Gospels in particular, you will know that this didn't happen overnight. Peter, maybe even more so than Philip, he missed the point as well. Like he stuffs up, he chickens out at times, he doubts, he fears. But as is the promise of Philippians 1.6, and this is such a wonderful verse, Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at that day of Jesus Christ. You know, if you're a Christian here this morning, if your hope is not in yourself, but in Jesus, then you have a new identity in Christ. And not only does He give it to you, but He will make it happen. You know, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, We are His workmanship, created anew in Christ Jesus for the good works He planned for us long ago. 1 Peter 2 9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And one more for us, 1 John 3, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. You know, however you perceive yourself, whatever others have said about you, whatever labels you carry with you, whether intentionally 
or because that's what you've always been told and it's kind of stuck. Either way, Christ gives you a new identity as son, as daughter, as his workmanship. And whatever work needs to be done in your life, because we're all a bit messy, right? He will do it. So let's look to him. So Don Carson uh, wrote this about the renaming of Simon Peter. And I quote, he says, Here in John 1, the focus is much less on what this name change means for Peter than on the Jesus who knows people thoroughly and not only sees into them, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. He so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. What a beautiful and freeing truth to rest in. You know, it's not about your or my performance. It's not about our history, your ability, your strength, your intelligence, or even your measure of faith. You come and see the one who knows you completely, gives you a new name, a new identity, and fully empowers you to become what he calls you to be. You know, this is why John the Baptist, who we met last week, um, in last week's passage, he's like, don't look at me, look at him, go to him. It's about him and his work And 2,000 years later, that message is still true. We see this as well in the final interaction Jesus has in our passage this morning. You know, Nathaniel, the guy that questioned Philip about this so-called Messiah from Nazareth, you know, he's walking towards Jesus. And in verse 47, it says, Jesus says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So what Jesus is doing here is, is with divine insight, he is, he's praising and affirming Nathaniel's character, being one of integrity. He's saying, like, this, this guy is trustworthy. So I, I think, understandably, naturally, Nathaniel asks a fair question. He says, how do you know me? And Jesus goes on to reveal his omniscient knowledge. He speaks about part of Nathaniel's private life that no one could possibly have known, and that sparks faith in Nathaniel. Do you know, I think we're actually all riddles to ourselves more than we like to admit. And for me, having kids has really highlighted that. You know, before I had kids, I thought I knew myself pretty well. But then since becoming a dad, um, a while ago now, my patience has been tested, my heartstrings have been pulled, and my own character has been revealed to me in ways that I never anticipated, that I'm not always proud of, that I didn't know even. Maybe you can relate to that a little bit, even those of us without kids. Because sometimes it can be really tough, can't it, to, to be faced with your own flaws and how it affects other people. And, and other times it can be encouraging as well when someone, you know, maybe praises something in you or about you. That can be really encouraging. But either way, one thing is for sure, and I hope you agree, or maybe you'll agree, and that is perhaps I didn't know myself as well as I thought I did when I was 16, when I was 21, even 30, And maybe some of us in the room a bit older than me can confirm if this trend continues later in life. You know, I don't know if many people um, here are into personality profiles. I'm not heaps into it. But I do remember years back I did a Myers-Briggs test uh, and I read my matching personality profile, which is ESFJ, if you're interested. Either way, um, I was amazed at how well it described me. It wasn't perfect and it was very general, but it was one of those moments in life, and I'm sure we've all had them, where you're like, wow, someone gets me, you know? I'm not alone. I'm not even that weird. (laughs) But here we see Jesus not only 
revealing and praising Nathaniel's character, but demonstrating that he knew Nathaniel better than Nathaniel knew himself. Do you know that Jesus gets you better than you get yourself? He knows your character. He knows your strengths and your weaknesses, your virtues and your flaws better than you know it yourself. And he chooses to love you radically and sacrificially anyway. Tim Keller says it this way. He says he journeys with us to the bottom. He journeys with us to the bottom of our darkest moments and he praises us to the sky. He invites you to follow him. He invites you to intimate knowledge and love. He invites you to to change, to be transformed. And he will make you, by his call, what he calls you. Son, daughter, workmanship, masterpiece. That 1 John 3 passage again, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That is what we are. Not because there's anything inherently special about us. I mean, everyone's special, right? But because he declared it so. So we come and see the one who knows us completely and empowers us to change. Fourth point, last point. We come and see the substance of our great hope. We come and see the substance of our great hope. In verse 35, John the Baptist says of Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. What a strange thing to call someone you first met, right? And Tyler did unpack this really well last week. But John is making an incredible statement here. He's essentially pointing his disciples to the main reason Jesus came, and that is to die. See, John and his disciples would have been very familiar with the Jewish sacrificial system, that time and time again, the high priest would go into the temple, make animal sacrifice for the sins of the people. But these were just a shadow of what was to come. You know, they had no real power to cleanse the people of sin, but they existed to point toward what was coming. That's the Lamb of God. And in Hebrews 10, I'll read it for us. It explains this so perfectly. Hebrews 10 verse 8 says, First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made, per- made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, Jesus was the Lamb of God. And by his sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is such good news. And that applies to all of us, you and me who look to Jesus for your hope. You know, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. There's that now and not yet, right? That we are now perfect in his sight by his perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. But we are still, we are not yet, but we are still being made holy in this life. It's still a process and it will be until we go to be with him. But he is doing it in us by his spirit. So to come and see is to come and see 
the Lamb of God, our great hope. Finally, um, going back to that John, John 1 passage for the last time this morning, it ends with a fairly odd statement. You know, it's, it ends with this odd statement Jesus says to Nathaniel. And, you know, Nathaniel has just, just been astonished by Jesus' insight into his life and his character. And then he goes on to declare faith in him in that statement he said. But in response to this, Jesus says this unusual thing. We'll read it one more time from verse 50. It says, Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Man, what's going on here? What a bizarre thing to say. Well, a bit like the way those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament were a shadow of what was to come, being the Lamb of God, Jesus is showing another way in which he is the fulfillment of an Old Testament story. In fact, Jesus is referring back to the ancient story of Jacob's ladder from Genesis 28. And he's showing Nathaniel that he is the story for which all other stories pointed. If you remember back to our Genesis series from a few years ago, um, when we went all the way through the book of Genesis, uh, in Genesis 28, Jacob has this dream of a ladder or stairs going between earth and heaven. And it says that, you know, the Lord stood above it and angels were ascending and descending. And for Jacob, in that moment in his life, that was a massive wake-up call. You know, it was a holy, it was a formative moment in his life when he knew that God was not far but near, that God would keep the, his promises to Jacob. But that was a moment for one man thousands of years ago. And here now, thousands of years after that story took place, Jesus is saying that he is that ladder. You know, he is the access. He is the way between heaven and earth, between God and people. It's not that he is waiting at the top and our job, your job, is to get good enough to climb up the ladder, try harder, do more, be more holy, work your way to him. No. He's saying, I have come down to you and we ascend on the Son of Man by his power, by the grace that he gives to us. He is the fulfillment of, and he is the fulfillment and story for which all other stories pointed towards. So I want to close this morning's message and I'll invite the band to come up as we take communion soon. Um, but I want to close us um, by challenging you with one question. The question that Jesus put to Andrew and the other disciples as they began following him. You know, if you remember, Jesus turns to them and asks, he asks, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? It's a good question. So let me ask you this today. What are you looking for? What are you really looking for? You know, are you here today, really? Is it because it's something you've always done? You know, it's part of a weekly ritual? Are you looking for a comfort, a safe existence, where the days and years kind of tick by as smoothly and as safely and as enjoyably as possible? Are you looking to be convinced of what you want to be true about God and life? Or are you looking to come and see the truth about who God has revealed himself to be in his word and for that truth to shape your life and not the other way around? You know, in some ways, it's actually it's a bit of a trick question. 
Because to be honest, none of us could say we have completely pure motives in how we answer it. People are complicated. Our motivations and our decisions are rarely as black and white as we sometimes think they are. But maybe this morning, as we take communion in a minute, um, maybe we can th- you can think about, and, and sorry, as we think about the body and the blood of Jesus that was given to us, given for us, this is a question that you could bring into your mind, bring into your heart before God in prayer. You know, what am I really looking for and why? And then wherever you kind of land, wherever God leads you in, in thinking about that question, or maybe you don't land, maybe you have no idea really, Either way, the next step, and this is such an important step, is to pray. You know, to pray for courage, for strength, for clarity to come and see Jesus as he truly is. That we might be followers uh, who look to him in all seasons, in all situations. And, you know, that the Holy Spirit would come and do his work in us and through us. Let's pray together. Um, Father, we, again, just thank you so much that... Uh, you have given us grace, Lord, that you are good and that you desire to come and to, um, to move in us, Lord. God, we thank you that you call us to be your followers, Lord, that we don't have to have it all together, we don't have to know the answers, um, that even if life's messy and we're not sure, Lord, you invite questions, you invite us to come and to look to you. Lord, help us to do this. Father, would you just um, help us to bring before you um, the things we're struggling with, the, the barriers that we might feel are up that are stopping us from taking that next step or um, moving into that next stage, Lord, whatever it is, would you just help us to um, experience your grace and peace, to, um, to be changed by you, Lord. We thank you so much that you're a God that um, yeah, desires, desires us and loves us. Lord, help us to um, respond to that love this morning. Uh, And would you just um, bless us as we take communion and um, sing together now. In Jesus' name, amen.